to us in his word in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 27. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not, myself be, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kim. Good morning. If I haven't met you, my name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor in this church and uh, one of multiple leaders, one of two elders, two pastors here, and I really are glad that you would be with us today. All right, listen, we preach through books of the Bible in this church. We are in a book called Corinthians. Let me tell you a little bit about the book for those of you who are just joining us. Corinth, uh, which is where we get the term Corinthians, people that lived in Corinth, Corinth was a long time ago. And Paul is this person who by God's grace would plant churches in different towns. Corinth was an interesting town. They all are interesting, but Corinth for, for sure was a little more interesting than the rest. Uh, the Greeks were in, in Corinth. That's people that lived in, in Greece, from Greece. Uh, Romans were in Corinth. Also Jews, um, also Christians. And there was this kind of hodgepodge of all these different types of people living in a town a long time ago because Corinth was actually located in a major trade route. It was a vacation spot. It's where people went on vacation. One author described Corinth as simultaneously Las Vegas, Los Angeles, and New York all combined. Can you imagine what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, all right? It's that kind of town. There's temples everywhere. The Corinthians love the idea of spirituality. They love the idea of being spiritual people. They love the idea of worship. And so just to accommodate everyone, they put a temple to every type of God. Even the ones that you just wouldn't make up. Make up a God, we'll build a temple for him. They even had temples to all the gods. Just in case we haven't covered your God, we've got a temple to all the gods. God saw fit, the God, our God, saw fit to put a church in that spot. And it makes sense so that people could hear the gospel not random news, not bad news, but good news that there is one God and he loves you. Put that in the middle of Corinth to disciple the neighborhood around them, to disciple the people around them, to tell people, stop worshiping false gods, come worship the one true God. He's better than them anyway. And what happened was, is they were being discipled by the people. The church was being discipled by the town. 
So culturally speaking, they said, it sounds good for us to be able to do all the things that we want to do, maybe worship other gods, and then also get our God as well. That's Corinth. That's what's happening. Paul's answering questions. He's writing a letter to them. They've written a letter to him, and they don't really like Paul much, even though they, he planted them. <laughs> even though Paul planted the church, God's using this man to plant the church and then also water the church. It's agricultural language to put seed in a place and then water the dirt, and then God provides the growth. They don't like Paul much in Corinth because Paul has told them, you shouldn't go and visit temple prostitutes. You shouldn't do these types of things. What's happened to you actually is tragic. You have been discipled by the world around you as opposed to you discipling it. That happens a lot to us in this church today. It's like the ideas of the world, the way that God has established his authority over the human body his authority over the way that we should live and treat each other. Culture hates all of that stuff. And it's so easy to neglect what God has done to us and let ourselves be discipled by the culture. That, it's not new. This was happening in Corinth as well. In the middle of that, Paul's answering questions, and the Corinthians have done a thing that's so tragic and that we have done as well. The Corinthians said, wait a minute, if I belong to the one true God, doesn't that make me better than everybody else? If God, if that's real, if God is true and there's one of him and he chose me, doesn't that make me better than everybody else? And because of that, doesn't that give me all kinds of freedoms and liberties? So now we have Paul talking to them about their freedoms and liberties because they're like, well, I've got liberty in Christ. I've got freedom in Christ. And a lot of us feel the same way. It's like, well, I... In Christ, I'm free to do pretty much whatever I want. I'm saved. That's not going to change. I can go live how I want to live. It's not going to. God will forgive me. I've heard that. I've heard that recently. God will forgive me. I can live how I want to live. I can have affairs. I can whatever it is. And God will forgive me. I mean, God is forgiving. That's the, one of the best things about him. He is so forgiving. He's so loving. But Paul comes to them and he says, no, 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 no. If you think freedom means freedom to test the waters and freedom especially to not even think about the people that are around you and how what you do affects them, that's not freedom at all. That's bondage to your own self-interest. Freedom actually means, in chapter 8, should we eat food offered to idols? Paul says it's fine. We know that food, there's nothing in food. It's not magical or not magical. We also know that there's one true God, but the problem is, is you're going to these temples eating food offered to other gods and participating in a worship service, which is the feast of that God. And that, actually, that's not gonna do anything to the mature Christian, but what about the person that just got saved out of that life of bondage and idolatry? They're gonna look at you and go, it's okay to worship other gods. Ben's doing it. And Paul says, the problem is, is not in your freedoms. It's you are free. You are free. Meat offered to idols, it doesn't matter. It's just meat. However, you've forgotten in your freedom about the person next to you, which is bondage. Galatians 5 says, let's not use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, not thinking of other people. But in our freedom, let's serve one another. So chapter 8, that's Paul. Chapter 9, the first of chapter 9 he says, I'm free too, I'm free, I'm actually free, I'm an apostle, I'm free just like you guys say that you're free. In my freedom, it's actually required, like it's expected for me to get paid by the church to go around and preach the church. And the Corinthians had done this crazy thing where they said, no, no, 
you're not an apostle. You don't have any authority because we don't pay you. <laughs> I mean, children at this point, you know what I'm saying? Just looking for reasons. And Paul says, yes, I'm free, but I laid down my freedoms to serve you. It's about laying down rights. And today is the culmination of that argument. What does it mean to follow Jesus when it comes to the things that we think we deserve? What does it mean? Paul would say to us, it means lay down your rights. And Paul starts us here, and he says something absolutely crazy. He goes, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Why? That I might win more. I'm free from all, but I've made myself a servant to all. What would compel a man who is free from everything to make himself a servant of everything? What would compel a man that is free from all people's opinions to make himself a servant of them? Why? Why would he do it? Why not? If it's true that we're saved, and Paul was radically saved, if it's true that we're saved and we belong to God, and when eternity comes, which is inevitable, when we die, if it's true that my eternity is sewed up, nobody can shake it, I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus, if that's true, why do I care about anybody other than myself? If I'm Paul, why not just wash my hands with these people that keep crying like a baby to you, Paul? Why? What is it? What could compel a man to bypass the American dream? What would compel a person to do that? And the American dream or the culture that we live in, which is like, make all the money you can, worship the money you make, put it in a can, and then sit on the can, had an old man tell me once. Make all you can, put it in the can, and then sit on the can. American dream. I'm satisfied. What would, why wouldn't, I don't care about what these other people say. I ain't worried about them. I've gotten my identity. I've made more money than them probably anyway. What would compel a man to just bypass all of that? To become a Jew to the Jews, a Greek to the Greeks, to those under the law become like them, to those outside the law. I mean, that feels like a little bit crazy to me, Paul. A little schizophrenic. Why would you do it? Anybody volunteer in this room? <laughs> to lay down his life continually, to not think about how much he makes or where he's moving to next, for Paul to be single, to give that up? Why? Is he just crazy? Is he just like trying to be different than everybody? Something happened to Paul. Something happened to this man that's, he's one of the smartest men that we've ever read. It's not for lack of intelligence. It's not for lack of conviction. He's very socially adapt. What would happen to a man like that that would cause him to become, he says, a slave to all? Here's what happened to Paul, and I would invite you today to perk up and pay attention because in the, in the town that we live in, there's this word that has become such a familiar word to us that our hearts barely even come alive to the reality of the gospel. The gospel happened to Paul, and here it is. And I'm gonna ask you to perk up, and again, you might have heard this a hundred times, but pay attention, man. Let your heart come alive to the reality of what God has done, because that's what happened to Paul. 
The gospel changed his life. And it is this, there is one God. God is not selfish, God is not bored. He did not create humanity because he was selfish or bored. God himself is fully satisfied within himself. He exists in three people, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, neither one of them needing anything else. God did not, was not scared of having a heaven without us. That's not real. God totally satisfied throughout all eternity. That God who is love himself, it is not that we worship love as God, it is that God is love. We worship God. It's not okay for us to think about love and to come up with, a, with our own constructs of love and then to worship love. What happens when I love different than you love? Well, then we get hate. God is love. He defines love. He doesn't just have a reservoir of love. He's not just got a lot of love to give that maybe could run out. No, God himself, in himself, his character is love. We cannot love without God. We love, why? Because he first loved us. We cannot even know love without knowing God. It is true love. Everything that he has created in every way is out of his love. God didn't make humans because he was bored to death. He didn't make humans because he wanted to mess with them as this capricious, authoritarian, totalitarian dictator. God is love, he, therefore he created humans out of love. He actually creates all things out of love. He made you and me to be in his love and to live through his love. There is no life outside of the love of God. But what we did in the garden and what we continue to do by nature and choice is to reject his love and to say, I don't need God. I can actually make my own way. I can rebel against God. God doesn't know, I know. That's what happened in the garden. The lie was introduced. Eve and Adam both believed the lie. And that happened, and then we fell. It was the fall. And then all of a sudden, hate enters into the world. Deceit enters into the world, lies. And actually, the worst part of it all, the byproduct of all of that is death. So now we are born into that world, into the fall. So what happens now? We've rejected the love of God. We've rejected his goodness. We've rejected his authority. Now what? In the Old Testament, God gave several instructions to the people of God. I mean, the history of the people of God, there has never been a time where the people of God did not walk away from God, just to be clear. There's never been a single people ever in history that stayed faithful to God. God provides for them. He shows his love to them. They walk away and they go, oh man, we're sorry, we need you, God. He provides for them, shows his love for them, they walk away. So on and so forth. God provided a way for his people. He gave them the Ten Commandments. He said, obey these. And then once a year, actually, I'll give you an opportunity for someone to atone for all of the sins of the people. So that was the Day of the Atonement. They would sacrifice one lamb who represented all the people and all their sins were put on that lamb. And then it's like, keep the law. And it's not like the law was varsity level Christianity. I mean, don't murder. <laughs> the Ten Commandments, don't steal, don't worship other gods, you know? That's pretty base level JV stuff. Of course we failed at all of that. So what now, what do we do? And the gospel is this, there's gotta be another way. There has to be another way. I mean, I'm faced with the reality of this in my life that I've got all of this sin that's gotta go somewhere, it can't go to God. 
God's infinitely holy. He can't, you can't even look at God, he's so holy. Imagine that. Imagine bringing all of that brokenness and darkness into God's holiness. It doesn't work. You know what's met with it at the end? It, it can't even exist in him, the wrath of God against sin, because he is loving, but he's also just, and his justice has to go somewhere. Both things are God. So how are we gonna get past the problem of sin, if I've got to cross over this problem of sin, the gospel, what, how, why is it good news? Why is it? And because of this, it's God knew it. He knew it before we were born. He knew it before he created anything that God himself was going to have to come. And the best news today is that God did. Now, real quick, it could stop there. We could stop right there and go, man, God was born? And if that was the first time you had ever heard that compared to every other God in the history of humanity, every other God that's been worshipped, you would immediately say, that God is different. That God right there, that God, that Christian God, that's a different type of God right there, that he would just be born, just become a human. Like, who would do that? <laughs> who would do that? We could stop right there. I mean, he created the woman that he was born from. That's a level of humility that is beyond us. But that's not where it stopped. He decided to live a life. Somebody had to train him to use the bathroom. God Almighty, who needed nothing. Come on. I mean, who has eternally existed in perfect communion, needed nothing. Somebody had to potty train him. We could stop there. We'd be like, okay, that he was born, that's enough. But now, preacher, you're, trying, you're explaining to me something that's a little bit crazy. You mean God had to be fed? Come on. You mean somebody had to show God how to take medicine? Yes. He lived a full life. Worked a job. Met the demands of employees and bosses and people and consumers. Probably did a great job as a carpenter. Was, came from a small town called Nazareth. They said nothing good would ever come from Nazareth. I mean, this is humility, guys. Probably had to take days off work because he was sick. You get my point. And then when he was 30 years old, he goes and gets baptized. And the Father comes upon him, sends his spirit, and says before he ever does an ounce of ministry work, this is my son with whom I am well pleased which is a whole other sermon, but some of y'all are still working too hard for God's pleasure. He came on Jesus because he belonged to him. And then Jesus did this, and if that stopped right there, we'd be like, this is enough. It's enough, you give me enough evidence. I really wanna hang out with that God. And if we stopped right there, and if we said, if Jesus had just come and said, okay, I'm gonna be baptized, I'm gonna work a job, I've done my job, now I'm gonna build the biggest yacht of all time, and I'm just gonna be on the yacht and I'm gonna have multiple servants, we would say yes and amen. You should have done it a long time ago, and you still are worthy of worship because I can't believe you came here and lived. But you know what happened after that? He subjected himself to humans that hated him. They cursed him everywhere he went. He went bringing the kingdom of God in every step that he took. Thorns and thistles became flowers and shrubs. He cast out demons, healed the sick, brought little girls back from the dead, 
little girls who belonged to men that were chiefs in the temple that would eventually murder him, brought him back to life. If we stop there, how much evidence do we need to worship this man? And then the worst part about it was this. He submitted himself to the people that he came to save. And you know what they did to him? Only this, they only gave him the most brutal murder in the history of humanity. The Roman, there's nothing worse. We have never experienced anything, seen anything like the Roman cross. It was a torture device that was rarely used for the worst kinds of humans. And he was actually declared innocent. Pilate, the, govern, the governor of Rome there, he said, this man's innocent, but he was afraid that the whole, everybody wanted him dead so much. I mean, imagine that. Walking, bringing the kingdom of God, raising people from the dead, and they say, murder him on a Roman cross, humiliate him in front of everybody. There's not a historian that would argue with that fact, by the way. No historian would ever argue. They would argue with the next thing I'm about to tell you. But there's no historian worth their salt at all. And even those not worth their salt that would ever argue that there was a man named Jesus from Nazareth who lived 33 years and was murdered for no reason. And then this crazy thing happened. Now. Because of the life that Jesus lived, and this is, I just bank on this in my life. God raised him from the dead. And he came out of the grave that, I mean, Jesus hated death, first off. He came out of the grave the first time in history nobody could figure out the problem of death. It's like, live great, be great, Isaiah, all the prophets, whatever, everybody's still gonna die. And then when you die, all of the wrath of God Again, sin comes on you because there's no atonement. You actually sin at least once, so you're done. <laughs> Jesus goes into the grave, comes out of the grave because he never sinned once, and in his hand, he's got the keys to hell. He has the keys to hell. Revelation says, who's worthy to open the scroll for the book of life? And everybody's freaking out. They're crying. John's crying. He's seeing this scene. Nobody's worthy. And then an elder comes over him and he says to him, lift up your head. Wipe your tears. There is one that is worthy. The lamb that was slain. And now, if you trust Jesus, if you trust that what I said is true, that you need him to save you, now, Instead of being an enemy of God, he doesn't just save you, he actually makes you his family and his friends. Jesus becomes your older brother and God the Father becomes your true father. And that's forever. And you get to live in perfect peace and harmony the way that you were originally created to be from now until eternity. And you didn't have to do anything to earn it. What kind of news is that? I mean, why does Paul say, I became all things 
to all people. Why? Because the gospel wrecked his life, man. It changed everything for him from now into eternity. So things like the American dream, which I love America, I'm not here. We need people to make money. But the American dream and the com my comfort level and all of that stuff just <laughs> pales in comparison. Because you know why? There are people that have to know this story. There are people that have to know it. So tell me what you need me to do, God. Tell me what, you, I know you don't want me to sin, I know you want me to follow you, but you tell me I'll do anything that I can do, Paul says. I'll become like a Jew, I'll become like a Greek, I'll become like one under the law, I'll become like one outside the law. You know why? So that I might win some. The trouble with us today is not that we don't know the gospel, it's that we don't know it. It's in this part of the world that is so familiar with us. We hear it so many times. We are in the Bible Belt of America. And that means that like all the Bible stories, everything, and not, this may not be true for all of you, um, but for most of us, it's just so familiar. We are in the over-churched and under-gospeled part of the world. And what we need more than anything right now is a charge to our heart to say, wake up, remember who you are, Remember what God has done for you. And then we can identify with Paul. And then we stop being so addicted to our comfort. And then we start thinking about our neighbors and our friends and the people in our life that don't know Jesus. And we start praying for them. And we start sharing the gospel with them. And we stop worrying so much about our own comfort. And then we make it a point to go to the same coffee shop so we can meet the same UPS driver. He's a buddy of mine. His son plays baseball. I've invited him to church at least 100 times, but he ain't ready for that yet. But he comes by my house sometimes because we both like yard work. Or your neighbors, or I've got Steve, and I've got, you know. Then all of a sudden, it's like we care about the people around us because we know this, that God is sovereign over my life, that he sovereignly saved me, that he will sovereignly preserve me, and that I for sure sovereignly don't deserve it. And therefore, he sovereignly put me in the house that I'm in, in Shawnee, America, for this time. No matter what I feel about the fact that we don't have a Target or a Canes or a whatever it is that we wish we had. Because of his goodness, because the same gospel that came to me and changed my life, he's put me in their life so that I open up my mouth and I share the gospel with them. So why does Paul live the way that he lives? It's because he has been changed, because he understands Romans. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he also understands this, that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. He believes that. What is his life like now? To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. Real quick, that wet word win means to save. It's not a car salesman. The gospel is not something to try and convince someone of. It's to pray for and tell them about. In order to win Jews, to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not by being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being myself outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, 
that I might win those outside the law. And guess what? To the weak, I became weak. And then I did that because that I might win some. And I have become all things to all people that by all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Not as a notch on the belt, not because I want to be the, I want to compete with everybody else. He says that I may participate in the blessing of the gospel because Paul still believes that the gospel is a blessing. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. We're talking about food laws, cultural laws. He's talking to the Corinthians who said, can I eat meat offered to idols? He's saying, I became like the Jew so that I might win them, so I may be this subversive agent to show them the gospel even within their means of life. I show up to their festivals, I participate to those outside the law, became as one outside the laws, which is Gentiles, not Jewish. It's an important note here. Paul's not saying that all of a sudden he doesn't believe in the work, the atoning work of Jesus. He's not under the law. Or that he all of a sudden doesn't follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit or call to repentance and holiness. Paul is saying that he showed hospitality to their way of life, not ostracizing them, but laying down his rights in order to befriend and share the gospel. It's possible to be a church that is just located in town, but not for the town that we're in. We don't wanna do that. We wanna be for the town that we're in. It's possible to be a church that is separate from the town, seeing that our lives, the way that we live, should be shielded from the people around us. We don't wanna do that either. We wanna be a church for our neighbors, sharing them the gospel. In Pot County, three counties represent this church, Lincoln County, Pot County, and Seminole County, and every one of those, the story's the same. There are those under the law, and there are those outside the law. You know what that means for us? Those under the law, meaning the Christian, the hyper-Christian, the one that knows all about church culture, the one that knows everything there is to know about the way we should do church. I love it when people, and by God's grace, we have people in here like this a lot, when people show up to our church services and don't know a single thing about what church service is supposed to be. We had a young man in our nine o'clock service like that. It was awesome. He literally was sitting by one of our godly young men asking questions about, okay, what's happening here? Can I ask a question? I was like, ah, probably not the right time to raise your hand. I love that. That's really rare for this part of the world. We got people that are under the law that know all about church culture but don't know Jesus. Church is my heritage. I look the part but I don't live the part and act as if I've got it sewed up. My life is squeaky clean, Christianity. I don't show vulnerability. I don't show need. I clean up really nice. I know how to look, how to act, what to say, how to pray, when to stand, when not to stand, what to do when it comes to church. I live clean. I probably make some money in my life. I fight for family values. I vote a certain way. I'm a church person. Therefore, I'm a Christian. I honor God with my lips. Jesus talks about a person like this in the Bible, the Pharisee, the religious leader who he says honors me with their lips, but in their hearts they're far from me. He tells the disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisee. They're like a whitewashed tomb. A whitewashed tomb. Come on. What imagery is that? That means the place that people go to die, to be buried in their death. You just wash it white so that it doesn't look like death, but it's actually dead over church and under gospel. Those under the law and then there are those outside the law. This is 
the person that says all church people are fake. They say things like, I can never darken the doors of the church. God will strike me dead as soon as I walk in there. They think things like all preachers are hypocrites. All church people just act a certain way. They can't possibly know what it's like to be me. I have to clean up my act in order to come to God or come to church. And if God is anything like his church people, I don't want any part of it. Those outside the law, those under the law and those outside the law, both are equally wrong. Both are equally lost. Both are equally destined for the wrath of God and both need a savior. And to the one in the room that Jesus has saved, for those of you that Jesus has saved, whether imperfect or not, even if you doubt your salvation, to those people that God has saved, the call on your life is to live the life that Paul lived, to be so moved by the gospel of Jesus that you go, as those under the law, I became like them, but I didn't compromise myself. And as those outside the law, I became like them, but I didn't compromise myself so that I might win some. Not a car salesman. Paul is the same one that wrote full well. His, his doctrine on the sovereignty of God over salvation is crystal clear. Paul believes that God saves, that we don't talk people into salvation, but he also believes that the means by which God saves people on earth, the means by which he enacts his kingdom on earth is through the church. So, become all things to all people. My question for you today is, has the gospel become so dull that we only think about where we're gonna eat? that we only think about what we need to do to our yard. I mean, I'm talking to myself. Anybody that knows me knows I think about my yard a lot. Has it become so dull that church is just what happens on a Sunday? Or maybe it's not even dull. Maybe it's just that you just don't, never have believed it. Have you lost your zeal for God? Have you forgotten your calling as a missionary to the world around you? Have you forgotten what Paul tells Timothy? Do the work of an evangelist. Get out of your comfort zone. Lay down your rights. Open your house, open your life, open your heart, and open your calendar to notice the people around you and share the gospel with them. How do we do it? Paul says this way, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wealth, but we have something that is imperishable. An athlete will train to get something that is perishable. They will make their bodies obey their minds. They will work every day, tirelessly, countlessly, to win something. We have something better, we have a prize better than them. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one being the air. I do not like just walk around and go, Lord, I wish you would send me somebody to talk to today about you. Maybe he'll do that, but really, you know what it's about? It's about setting, establishing your life, the rhythms of your life to share the gospel with people around you. It's discipline. It takes discipline to be missional. It needs to be budgeted into our calendar. It takes moving our calendar around. It takes saying no to maybe a sports thing or two. 
I mean, I, I know I'm stepping on toes probably, but I, I love sports, dude. I, I watch them all the time. I coached high school baseball for eight years. I love sports. But sometimes it's like we've got to reorder our loves, man. We've got to order our life to set up moments in our life so that we can be missional, be intentional, get out of our house and walk down the street. And by the way, this doesn't have anything to do with your Enneagram number. And I don't even know what I'm talking about when I talk about the Enneagram. I've got friends that I just say Enneagram so that my friends think I'm a little bit cooler, but I just get labeled, you're a this, Ben. There's no question in my mind, which makes me not want to be that thing. What I mean to say is, like, this isn't about what's comfortable or not comfortable to you. This isn't about your personality. This has nothing to do with extrovert and introvert. This has nothing to do with, am I a people person, am I not? This has to do with God saved you, and if you believe that, and if you believe that you didn't deserve it, your call right now is what Jesus says in Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make, all disciples, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know what comes before that? Here's what comes before that. The one that we just talked about that was raised from the dead, that's been given the name above every name, he says this, all authority. Say it with me. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, into all the world making disciples. This is not a question mark. If you are saved by Jesus, we don't get to take a personality test to see whether or not we should share the, the gospel with someone. It is our call, it is our duty, it is why you are here on earth to expand the kingdom of God outside of yourself. Pray for your family, pray for your kids, share the gospel with them. At Frontline, we ask all of our members, it's a prerequisite for being a member, to have a three. That means three people in your life that don't know Jesus that you pray for, share the gospel with, have dinner with, invite to church. It's visiting the same restaurants, budgeting your life, it's discipline, it's visiting the same coffee shop, being intentional to pray for people, knowing that God is the one that saves, and then opening your mouth because the gospel is news to be shared, to say hi to them and say, hey, I've been praying for you, is there anything that you need today? You ain't got to be weird about it. Build relationships with them. It's not because you're a salesman, because God has revealed to you the treasure of the universe. He revealed it to you, the treasure of the universe himself. Most importantly, it's not expecting people to come to us, as is customary in the Bible Belt. Let's put together a good service. Let's pray. We've done this, and I still pray, Lord, will you draw people in the doors? It's getting out of that. It's saying, Lord, will you draw people to my life, and you let me be drawn to their life? We like to set up a sign on the doors and say, church starts at this time, and hope to God that somebody that doesn't know Jesus will walk in the doors. Sometimes they do. But really, it's the call of us to be missionaries to the people around us. I'm gonna leave you with this, and then we're gonna take communion together. This is from Vaughn Roberts. Do we really need to say a long, loud grace in the restaurant and then launch into a lecture about the potential dangers of Harry Potter books or the musical merits of our favorite Christian band? There is a challenge for churches as well. Jesus told his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, but we have turned the go into come. Instead of making an effort to reach people where they are, 
All too often, we do little more than put a notice on the church door with the times of our meetings and wait for them to arrive. Later on, he says this. By the way, this is a book called um, True Spirituality by Vaughn Roberts. It's about 1 Corinthians. Perhaps we could start by asking which different groups of people live in the neighborhood. How could we build bridges with them? What could we do to serve them? What would be the most appropriate way to share the gospel with them? We're not free to adapt the gospel message which has been entrusted to us by God or to lower our standards of integrity. But that still leaves, leaves a large area of freedom in which we should be driven, not by our own desires, but by concern for others. The gospel is more important than rights. So that's my invitation to you today. Where has the gospel, where has the message of Jesus become dull for you? We need it to move us to share with other people. Where in your life do you need to rearrange your calendar, rearrange your life to get out and open your mouth and say, God loves you and so do I. Do you need anything? I lift two doors down. And just build relationships, man. I, it's not comfortable for me. It comes comfortable over time and God gives grace, but it's the calling of the Christian life. So that's my invitation to you today. Look, there are many people in this room, I have no doubt, that are stale, are stagnant to the good news of Jesus. Their life is not alive. Their heart is not alive. And I'm not talking about emotions. Emotions come and go, but I am talking about zeal for the Lord. There's lots of people in the room like that that say, man, I don't, I don't, I feel like I'm, I'm missing like the truth of God. I just don't feel alive to it. We're about to take communion together, and I'm gonna pray for you guys too, that God would bring renewal to your heart and your life, and that it would help you to lay down your rights to share the gospel with neighbors. We have a baptismal service that we did not plan coming up in, I'm terrible at math, two weeks, March the 19th. That's two weeks from now. Somebody with a calculator, thank you, Pat. <laughs> Everybody's like, we did not know our pastor was this dumb. <laughs> In two weeks, and I want to invite you, even if we've got people signed up to be baptized, but even if we don't, we just decided that this year we're going to put, we're going to draw the waters of baptisms at least four times over the year. And next month was impromptu. We needed to add another because somebody wants to be baptized, and there's two or three now. But um, I'm going to invite you to pray, okay? And even if nobody gets baptized, some random way people decide, nope, not doing it, we're still going to pray over the baptism waters that God would stir them up and that it would be real that it would be real, that it wouldn't be just emotion, that would be, what, that would be people going like, man, I'm laying down my life to follow Jesus. It would be organic and a move of the Spirit, which by the way, it is a good thing for the church to pray for a move of renewal of the Spirit. It is not a good thing for the church to be skeptical when it happens. I had somebody tell me last couple weeks ago that when God's moving, I'd rather be gullible than skeptical. And I am very naturally skeptical, Ben Hill is. I wanna invite you to not be skeptical. I wanna invite you to be gullible. I wanna invite you to pray in expectancy that God would move. And that many of you in the room that need to be baptized and give your life to Jesus, that that would happen. That you wouldn't care about what else happens, who cares about it. And that you would share the gospel between now and then for the baptism waters to be stirred up. 
and for people to be actually, really, eternally, authentically saved by God. Amen? Let's pray together.